0: Now introducing the second half of the Empire Economics podcast, brought to you by Andy, Graham, Eleanor, and Matt for Profound Decisions. So team, do you have anything further to say on more technical subjects? For example, the money supply.
1: So of course, one of the things that the boss causes is the rampant inflation that is destroying the Empire. <laughs> now, as I understand it, the problem is the the that loads of money is going into the game and not coming out of the game, and the price of boss resources is increasing to the point where nobody can afford it, despite the fact there's a load of
2: money in the game. Is that right? I don't know what the official uh, claim would be about the inflation problem. I mean, I've certainly read, I've certainly read that. Uh, that that is a fair summary of what I've received the odd email of over the years. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair i'm not sure i think other people have more nuanced analysis of it that's a caricature of the inflation you, you don't
1: keep me around for my nuanced approach to economics
3: man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to who's Sean... got an interest in it will blame something else so some people will blame well we've got too many armies we've well, we're fighting on too many fronts or uh we've created too many uh positions that take resources out that cost the, the senate money for example um there are are lots of people will blame different things based on their own value set so again it comes back to psychological value
2: it it comes back to role-playing choices because these things are limited because this is an economic world where there is no correct choice there is only a set of trade-offs that you can make that fit with whatever you wanted to achieve everybody will have a different solution to the inflation problem do you want to talk about inflation graham or should i just just rant. <laughs> um well what I was gonna say is do we want to touch on the money sinks? But yeah, you could just rant. Okay, I'll just rant. I mean, first of all, um there is minimal inflation in the system. That's gonna sound crazy to most people who are like, the price of mithril has gone from one throne away to four thrones away in the space of five years. How can you say there's no inflation in the system? Well, uh, because inflation is the increase in the price of the basket of goods. Look it up. That, that is just a mathematical truism. Uh, what we have in empire is what we would cla- economists would classically call a commodity boom or a commodity spike. Uh, the price of a certain uh, highly restricted commodity. Oil is a classic one, but sometimes you see it in gold. Something that you can't easily go, oh, people want more of this. Let's just mine or manufacture some more. Uh, The price of that product, uh, copper recently, steel, goes uh, shoots up in comparison to everything else. So what we saw was a a massive increase in the price of mithril, weirwood and white granite. And that is not inflation. It's just literally factually incorrect to call it inflation. That's a commodity spike. Uh, I mean, you could tell that because the price of, uh, of herbs went up a small amount but not a great deal the price of mana crystals has gone up quite a lot but they are also suffering a shortage of mana in some respects um but the price of green iron didn't change massively uh you know if it's inflation then the price of everything would be growing up and that actually isn't what we see what we see rather is um a really really massive price spike in commodities in those specific set of commodities and everything else moderate increase or, or no increase at all um so um it's a report, and that's important because it's just important to understand the nature of the problem and it's important to understand uh why you know what and how um inflation is a possibility in the system there's no doubt at all that if, that, that if there isn't enough money coming out of the system and there's more money going into the system then we would ex- Which in real world terms is the classic effect you get when a government starts to print money the government prints money that is li- like profound that is like putting more money into the system without there being and there's only the same number of ways for money to come out of the system there's only the same number of cash sinks that there used to be uh, so when the government prints money you get inflation the price of goods goes up now um, modern economies, when they look at sort of recessions, booms, or it's just, uh, the classic is they have what, what are called stabilizers, which kick in in recessions. So unemployment benefits are a classic example of a stabilizer. If the economy goes into recession, people go out of work, uh, and instead of having no money, they draw unemployment benefits and that helps to stabilize the effect of the recession. It prevents a catastrophic loss of purchasing power, which would further increase the the, the thing. Effectively, from an economics point of view, uh, unemployment benefits stabilize. And we have stabilizers that are built into the empire economy against inflation. Uh, And those stabilizers are what we call overclocking. Uh, Herb gardens and mines, you can simply spend more money to get more herbs or get more materials. And if the price rises above a certain point, then it becomes efficient. To, uh, and no, there's no role-playing decision. It's just uh, if, if, if herbs are, are suddenly incredibly expensive, it's just efficient. It's just... a a no brain decision to spend more money to get more herbs and what that would do of course is it would take more money out of the system and it would put more herbs into the system so the the economy built into it has some automatic stabilizers which kick in against inflation Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we're able to monitor inflation we can look at how much people are doing that and one of the reasons why inflation isn't something that we're significantly bothered about uh and why we're also pretty confident that it's, it's not really a major game factor at the moment uh what is a major game factor is of course the commodity boom uh i'm does, if anyone wants to jump in at any point and and, and stop my endless
1: i was gonna thinking. say uh, is it not though is it okay i'm not even uh, i'm not even entirely sure i know what i'm talking about in any way but that is economics discussions um isn't it a problem though that i as a as a newish player have less ability to do things like upgrading my resource than um uh, now five years in than i might have had at the beginning of the game if i joined in five years ago Because my resource doesn't produce, my business on my farm doesn't produce any more money. But the price of of white granite and weirwood has gone up.
2: When, well, first of all, let's imagine we do have inflation and the price of herbs and green iron and marn crystal and everything had gone up. In that scenario, you as a business owner or a farm owner would clearly have been um disadvantaged by the changes in the system that is categoric you would have been disadvantaged now the interesting thing is once that becomes widespread and people go yeah yeah don't take farms don't take businesses they're really pony because they give you money and money is simply worth less than everything else. What we would expect to see is a stabilizer. We would expect to see new players and classically new characters, remember people, characters are dying all the time, coming into the game or even paying two crowns to change their resource and moving away from a business or a farm and taking a site, taking a a herb garden, taking a, a, a mine, which would, of course, reduce the flow of money into the system thereby increasing the value of what money was left in the system and would increase the flow of herbs green iron etc into the system thereby decreasing the value of those items so actually again these automatic stabilizers kick in but you are not wrong in a in a if the goods that you produce whether that be coin or green iron or herbs are worth less than the goods everyone else produces, then you are being disadvantaged by the system. Now, is that fair? Oh, good grief, it's not fair. No one ever said capitalism was fair. I, I've heard many definitions of a free market, uh, defenses of it, but I, very few of them are predicated on the idea that some people having more than others is fair. No, I, I, no point do we set out to make things fair in Empire. That 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 is not one of our design goals. We want to make your life exciting and difficult and challenging and full of interesting role playing encounters. Literally making it fair. It is a. There are certain moments in design actually where we do talk about fairness. We wanted everyone to be able to go on a battle. We didn't want people. We don't have limited numbers that can go on battles, so that there isn't a guy standing there going, "You're a rubbish fighter." you can't go, because that would be unfair. That would be a kind of fairness of unfairness we didn't want in the game. But economic unfairness, the fact that you've got less money than Bob, yes, that is, that is not so something... The, there are so some something... other
0: limiting factors, though, just to, to circle back to Andy's actual original point, which is that the person who has been in the game for four years, who has been upgrading their resource for four years... We do have diminishing returns on a number of different aspects of the game, and one of those is the upgrading of resources. So as a new character, it will cost you two wanes of whatever material you need to upgrade your resource. But after um, the person that's been in the game for three years and has upgraded their resource 14 times, because for some reason they hold a, a national seat and they've got access to literal infinite amounts, it might cost them 14 or 15 wains of materials just to upgrade their resource at that crazy stage so there is a there is a certain limiting factor that for the super rich to do stuff is a little more because they've done it so many times already
2: yeah totally the other point here though it's really important is that this this idea that that you know if you come in four years in you know everything will be fair it's like i'll level with you Ros horton the pc playing the empress has a massively better chance of being Empress at the next event than a new player. She's got that title. It was very difficult to get it. If you're coming into your next event thinking, my goal by the end of the weekend is to be Empress, I think your chances of success are slim. You're going to have to be really good at role-playing. Um You know, every, every game has some degree of inbuilt unfairness. What Empire tries to do is say, okay, okay, it's not going to be fair. We're not you. You will not have the same indistinctive or inherent advantages that Bob has got. What we want to do is make sure there's still loads of reasons to role play with you. And what Graham has just illustrated is, I might have a level ten mana site, but if I want to upgrade it to get one extra mana crystal, it's eleven mithril. But if I find a brand new player. He will be producing seven mithril, uh, seven Mana Crystals and no upgrade. So if I role play with him and talk to him and have a conversation with him or her, I've got a much, much, much better chance of gaining access to wealth than if I just go and spend it myself. So the game isn't trying to make things fair. What it's trying to do is give you opportunities to roleplay. And I and I, I I and it it's still a legitimate criticism of any game that has more than one event to say there are less opportunities to role play as you go along as you join the game later on but empire tries really hard to think of lots of ways to ensure equality of access to role playing is a is a big thing for us not equality of outcome or equality of opportunity of financial opportunity
1: so while while maths
2: and trading are good role playing trumps all of them they they are just a type of role playing there's a point we touched on earlier which I, I just want to circle back to um that that i was saying you know the maths does not trump everything math you can't go 5000 troops and you've got 3000 Ergo, we should do this it is as meaningless as saying pride trumps the uh, loyalty or loyalty trumps wisdom but actually Numbers are just an in character commodity they 're just an in character piece of information, they 're not out of character you occasionally see people go we shouldn 't talk about the numbers they 're out of character you can 't possibly know that there are three and a half thousand troops or you can 't possibly know that twenty thousand people are going to die it, it, you, you, you can 't You may not know in advance what the numbers are, but the numbers are, are just in character things, like the value of the dose of truly out on the free market it 's just a piece of in-character information. It, it exists in the world so that players can role-play about it and make role-playing choices and political choices and virtue choices and economic choices. It, it, yeah, it's all about it's, it's all about the role-playing. Yay! Oh, we're still talking about inflation and cash sinks and money sinks. <laughs> I, I was going to say, we've mentioned now. cash and money sinks a couple of times. What are they? Okay, so... Uh, If you're starting to build an economic game, uh, if we look at one of the previous games we built, Maelstrom, that had a million different cash sinks in the system. Whatever. Great. And that that at the time felt like an important piece of game design that you needed to be lots of ways for the money to leave the system. Go on. I was about to say you mean ways for money to leave the system, but you beat me to it. Yes, sorry, yes. A cash sink is a way for money to leave the system. If you think about our game, there's a herb sink. You go on a battlefield and you rip up herb cards. At the end of it, there are less herbs in the game than there were when you started. That's a sink. That product is going into the system all the time. There's more and more herbs going in. If there wasn't a way for herbs to go out, they would simply accumulate in the system. Uh, so you need sources and you need sinks and you so with money there's clearly money is going into the system the senate gets a big budget every event although not as big as it used to be um <laughs> there is um sorry i shouldn't sound quite so uh excited about that as i, as no, I no, actually no, no, no. Um, I,
0: I have a gleeful chat on that call it later but carry on
2: uh, yeah yeah it's a source of glee to us it's a source of great sadness to the players and a source of great glee to us as organizers money goes in through the senate money goes in through a couple of other sources classically everyone gets 18 rings and when there's 1400 players at an event that is a lot of money uh and then a couple of hundred players have farms and businesses and they're getting between one and two thrones each so that is another five six hundred thrones going into the game um so there's money going in the question is where's the money coming out and as i say maelstrom we had a million ways for the money to leave the system and then um along with some friends of ours we sort of supported and and helped run uh or helped them create odyssey which they ran Um, and and it was That that had very, very few cash sinks. There's very few ways for money to leave the system. We used to laugh about people flushing it down the sacrifice toilet, which basically you would sacrifice money to the gods and I think, memory serves, that was one of very, very few ways to, for money to leave the system. And it was completely sufficient to to make the economy within Odyssey, uh, such as it was, work. They didn't get a build-up of money because every time they did, people sacrificed it to the gods. And the realization there was actually you there's no need to have thousands and thousands of cash sinks. That is, there's no, that, that's not, it's not actually what balances the economy what balances the economy is the total size of the amount of money leaving it's the size of the hole through which the money goes out of and crucially can the players enlarge or contract the hole can they increase the flow of money out of the system and why would you want to do that well you would want to do that if you had a build-up of money in the system you would want to spend more money And and spending more money is another way of of cash sinking. If you think about your own personal finances, if you're listening and you think at home, if if your boss doubles your wages, yay, Um, you don't think, great, I'll just pile that money up and and never spend it, You, you go out and increase your expenditure. And you could do that because you live in an economic world. Many LARP systems will actually literally constrict the rate at which money can leave the system it's a fixed rate there's only a certain amount of things players can buy and they cost a fixed amount of money once you've got there are 10 magic swords and they cost 10 thrones and that is it that's the only way for the players to give money to the organizers then 100 thrones is the size of your economic cash sink no bigger no smaller and if you're putting more than 100 thrones in each event, then you you will have inflation empire has one gigantic cash sink um we wanted to keep the game some, many elements of the game much much simpler than some of our previous games we wanted the economics to be fundamental and to be really important but we didn't want it to be massively complicated or massively mathematical we didn't want it to be thousands of, of things here there and everywhere so we just made one ginormous cash sink and that is the senate the senate pays for upkeep of armies it pays for upkeep of fortifications it pays to protect the civil servants to put people on, it pays for many 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 things and we take a lot of money out of the game every event through the senate and that is ultimately how we balance the cash flow now the thing that's really important is that we don't balance that over a single event it's balanced over a long arc of years So we would expect over a long arc of years for money to build up in the system, for you to see a commodity, you might see inflation, you might not see inflation, you might see a commodity spike. And in fact, what we've seen by and large is a commodity spike. We've seen the price of mithril, the price of white granite, the price of weir would go shooting up. And what we would expect to see in that situation, where there's a fantastic amount of money glutting in the system, raising the prices of those goods, is that the Senate would go, that's great, let's build another five or six armies. They do that, that increases the size of their cash sink by 300 thrones an event. So they, the Senate's got to find another 300 thrones that at the end of the every event, they are handing over to PD and saying, please remove this money from the system. And so they can that the Senate can literally make that cash sink bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And that's what's happening.
0: So is it time for me to talk about the actual the horrifying mechanics of how that happens.
2: Yeah, go for it.
0: Okay, so um, the first thing just to note is to exactly where the Senate's budget for money comes from and what its basic expenditures are. Um, so the Senate balance sheet, uh, one, an interesting point about the balance sheet, the, there's basic information of what the actual bottom line is is available to uh, any senator who wants to ask. Um, it's Reasonably available from from any of the civil servants that know about it, which is uh, largely uh, myself, uh, Harry who plays uh, John of Mead, and uh, Stephen Kirkbride uh, who plays a, I can't remember his character's name. Nicolai, thank Niccolo. you. The so that, any senator will have access to the bottom line, but only one person in the field actually gets a full talk through and a full rundown of the senate of the empire's finances, uh, which is the master of the mint. Um, the it, it, it is a seat that is bid on in the um, in the auction, but it's a sort of slightly trimmed down version of the auction because it's actually only available to a member of the league. Uh, they have full access to the accounts as they are now. You might expect the accounts of a country the size of the empire to be basically considerably larger than the Encyclopaedia Britannica, but uh, we've. The, we talk about the abstraction layer at various points, and so we have a much more trimmed down version of these accounts. So all they see is a bottom line territory by territory of, here is what this territory costs to maintain, and here is what this territory brings in in terms of income. And in most territories, a territory brings in more in terms of income than it does in cost to maintain. That tends to flip around, particularly when you're in a territory like um, the Mournwald. The Mournwald costs a lot more to maintain than it does to bring in because it's not bringing in anything because there's very few people there anymore um but there are lots of costs involved so so you have those costs broken down territory by territory and that produces a net income of money that is coming into the senate of around 1300 thrones i think it is uh, off the top of my head um you then have the list of the Senate's other expenditures. Uh, Matt's mentioned armies. You have fortifications. There are colleges that are used to research magic. Uh, there is the Guerdon. The Guerdon's a bit of a special one, so we'll come back to it. Um, there's all sorts of things that a- anything that the Senate uses that has some kind of upkeep cost, or the, the the empire uses that has some kind of upkeep cost, comes out of the Senate budget. And for the first few years, um, The Senate was effectively, at that point, um, was having an income of funds. So they had more money coming in through their taxation through the various territories than they were spending out for in terms of armies.
2: Just to cut in, Graham, what does that mean in terms of whether or not the game has an effective cash sink?
0: That means the game does not have a cash sink at that time. More money is coming into the game than is leaving the game. And as such, the Senate produces more and more armies. At this point, the Senate is now having more money coming out of the game there was There was about a f- two or three events worth where the Senate was very unhappy about this and was was unwilling to move to a position where it was on a, a deficit as it were, where more money was um, leaving their budget than was coming in naturally. Um, after a certain point, they got to that point and more money was going out, and then they seemed to just go crazy. <laughs> um, they passed through about... <laughs> they, they, they hovered around, oh, just just 10 thrones in credit. Yep, yep, well, we're still good. And then all of a sudden it went to, like, 200 thrones. They passed, like, a whole bundle of things all at similar times. Yay! Um, and suddenly they were hugely in deficit. Um, now, here's why being in deficit doesn't ma- matter so much to them. Um, there is another source of income that they have, which i have not yet mentioned, which is the... Uh, The seat auctions from the board. So, whenever someone buys one of those Mithril producing seats that produces Mithril across the year, that money goes into the Senate Treasury. Now, that is an uncertain amount of money that is going to impact their accounts. So they can't predict, well, well, to an extent they can predict, they can sit and look at previous bourse auctions and go, we think that these weirwood seats are going to bring us in somewhere in the region of 1,500 thrones this season. Because we're auctioning four of them, and they go for about 350 to 400 thrones, so, <laughs> so that'll all go perfectly well. So... <laughs> Of course, at Event 1 this year, when they were auctioned off, as is public knowledge on the wiki if you want to look it up, uh, those seats went for 50 thrones each, uh, some seven to eight times less than was anticipated. And that caused, as you might imagine, something of a stir in the field. (laughs) It's fair to say. Um, So at this point, the Senate is in deficit. If the Senate is in deficit and is so far in deficit that they do not have any money to spend and in fact they owe more money for upkeep of the things that they've decided to upkeep than they physically have then they can't pay for everything and if they can't pay for everything they need to start. they need to strip something down and i don't know if we're at that stage yet (laughs) <laughs> no,
2: they've never. Had, I think there's a really, I mean, for those who are not into their economics, there's two really important points here. Uh, the, and the, Occasionally you'll hear the, the BBC journalist talking about the difference between deficit and debt. Debt is when I have less assets. I have less money in simple terms than, than I owe. If I owe £200 and I have £50, I am in debt. My debts are bigger than, than my pile of money. The empire is literally legally prohibited from going into debt. It cannot do that. And we could talk about the design reasons why it can't do that. and They're linked to the design reasons why it can't raise taxation or do other things. Uh, it, it's not totally true, as I'm occasionally accused, that it's just Matt Pennington's libertarian fantasies. Uh, there are Genuinely good game design reasons why the empire can't go into debt. Deficit is a completely is is a related but different thing. Deficit is where your outgoings are greater than your incomings. Um, and if if I might have a million pounds, but if I'm earning ten pound a week and spending twenty pound a week, I am in deficit. My pile of money is going down. Um, but clearly, in that example I've given, I'm not in debt. But but I am in deficit and the Senate, the Senate has what we might call a structural deficit, by which we mean it has an income that it, it getting from territories, which is it can actually, by and large, be pretty confident it will get every event without fail. It's not totally true, but but it's, it's largely true. Uh, and, and there is the difference between that money it's earning from taxation and the amount of money it's spending on all of its armies, and, and, and you can think of that as the structural deficit. And that money has to be found not through borrowing, but through the sale of boss uh, seats. Uh, and when it when the boss seat sales go well, great, the Senate has a lot of money. Uh, when the boss seat sales go badly, it does not have a lot of money. Um I mean the key point here is from a game designer point of view, we literally require the Senate to be in deficit. Uh there was a little mistake at the first event ever when it was Arctic winds and everything was collapsing around our ears. That we didn't start the game with the Senate in deficit as we should have done as we intended to do, because there was some confusion on the on the day. <laughs> there was a lot of confusion about a lot of things. Um and mistakes so we were made, this one by me. Ah, uh, yeah but 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 it was it was pretty ferocious conditions um and we just said well it's fine we'll just run with it you know we will we'll not put the senate in deficit because we know as sure as as day follows night that they will end up in deficit eventually <laughs> that is a given uh, and sure enough they have uh we needed to do some things some game rules changes to make it psychologically easier for them to get in deficit uh, and having done that we've successfully got them uh, helped them helped them. Help the game by getting to deficits. And that's that's the stable point in the game, because that is the point at which money is now leaving the system, approximately close to the rate at which it is entering the system.
0: Oh, no, I think uh, we worked it out. It's rapidly overtaken that. It's, uh, Uh, It's running out of the door at the moment.
2: That is, okay, there you go. Graham has released some very <laughs> significant game information. Those of you with a firm economic head on your shoulders will be able to sit down an hour and think about it, just exactly what the economic consequences for the game are, that money is leaving the system at a greater rate oh. than it is coming into the system. Come on, 90% of our players
0: are asleep now. <laughs> yeah, that's <is> true. <laughs> that if you've true. stayed up this throat log through the, through the chat, well done. Well <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, done. <God. laughs> We've just given you a
2: very, very crucial piece of game information that some players will be deeply unhappy that we've given out. But you could argue pretty legitimately the civil service really ought to be able to provide to the empire. Money is leaving the system. Um, and that will have far-reaching economic consequences. The, the, It will impact very heavily on the commodity boom. We were very excited when we saw the price drop. I mean, we were genuinely... The Senate had long, sad faces, but we were high-fiving in the map cave when the uh, the price of, of, of resources dropped. But actually, I'm pretty certain in hindsight that was a cartel acting and not a natural price drop. But, and this is the really important question, that, that a point, there is no distinction between a cartel operating to drop a price and the price dropping. You, I would not expect the cartel to be able to successfully drop the price uh, crash the price of mithril the price at which they bought it from the senate if we were not entering a regime where the value of those bore seats was difficult to quantify was uncertain we've gone from a period where everybody knows the prices are just going to go up and up and up forever to a period where people are looking a little nervously at each other and going hmm, what will happen to the price of mithril next year we don't know uh, and that that if you look at you study economics if you study um stock market booms and crashes you know that, that that uncertainty is what predates a crash that that kind of uh concern that maybe everything is not going to be good in the world is is what you see before a, a market crashes so uh i while we could say oh it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a natural crash it was a cartel that may or may not be true i think it probably is as it happens but it's all linked to the same effect. It's all linked to the fact that the the long running commodity spike is either has run its course or is close to having run its course. And it and the interesting thing, it may or may not crash. I genuinely do not know. I, I honestly I have no secret game information and anyone who tells you that they know is a liar that tells me whether the market will crash or not crash um it may simply bottom and stabilize out it may simply just fall back gently to a level and sit there um and 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 that may be a thing uh or it may just plummet off a cliff disastrously bankrupting people and we may see people throwing themselves out of the uh, the top story of the amble tavern uh, or whatever <laughs> um.
3: There was a link um, that goes back the other way between the um the borse resource prices and and the Senate in that when when they the Senate was feeling relatively rich and was building new things, it was pretty much, pretty much the biggest buyer of uh, those resources, so the same money was going round and round absolutely and that's with- not the case anymore because they're not committing um force they're not doing things
0: which require force resources it,
3: um, that, that, when, sorry, when go money's
0: on. going round and round but they're also reliant on that same money to prop up their <clears> structural <throat> deficit there was always going to reach a point where actually this doesn't quite work out it's like you give us 1500 thrones we spend 100 of it and then pay you 1400 thrones and ask for the same stuff back
2: yeah People looked at the economy in the short term and their analysis was it was broken because they were perceiving it through that lens of a couple of events. And there's a ready perception of we're giving the Senate money every season. They're using it to buy uh cap and resources from the boss, and then the boss are using that money to buy the seats back off the senate and clearly in that environment the money looks circular you look at it and think well that's clearly broken it, it's, it's no surprise to me that everybody's analysis was that the economy was broken uh but we we were pretty confident that that, that you know that eventually the senate would go into deficit that situation would simply rectify itself uh, and now, and now actually there's a key point here, which was true in the early stage of the game and will become true again as we go forwards. That actually a key supply of wealth into the field is the 250 players with businesses and farms. It's the players with the rings. Uh, and you might think, how does a player with 18 rings possibly influence the economics of the game and the answer to that is he goes and spends them at a tavern the tavern owner gathers up all these 18 rings and suddenly he's got 180 thrones to spend and he spends it down at the boss buying a boss seat so that 18 rings is is when it's 1400 players with 18 rings is a vital flow of money into the game um and and the point is that actually it it during the phase when the Senate is sat on an enormous pile of money that is going back and forth between it and the boss, everybody who is an, a personal tr- a trader in the field is locked out of the boss game. That is absolutely true. But they weren't locked out in the first couple of years. You know, he could show you the analysis, which is very clear. that In the first couple of events, uh, there was far more money being being given to the um, the the personal the players than was being given to the senate in total you know a large flow of money into the boss comes from the business owners the farm owners uh, in the first few seasons of the game and actually if the deficit runs the way it should run if the game follows a sort of smooth course what we'll end up with is you'll end up with a flow of money around the system the 18 rings and the um, and the, the profits from farms and businesses will go from player to player to player to player. They'll accumulate in the hands of players. Those players will spend them at the boss auction to buy the boss seats to get access to the really powerful and important resources. Uh, so their money will go player to player to player to player to player to the boss and from the boss to the Senate. And then the Senate will spend that money on armies, fortifications and everything else so it will leave the system. And that is... In a nutshell, in a very simple crude terms is is the way the economy is is designed and and, and functions, and that's why p d has been pretty blase about the commodity spike since day one we 're just like meh it's just a thing <laughs> it's just, just yeah, I think total lack of concern would probably describe our of you and, and frequently you'd see people on Facebook sort of going yeah yeah the economy's broken and pd aren't doing anything about it or they don't care or you know they just think we're wrong or whatever whatever and and I, I, it was just a difference of time scale about our analysis to their analysis
3: but once it settled in at a higher price it didn't actually take that long for people's role play and decision making to kick in, like we were talking about right back at the beginning. But if you've got access to something, you can then make a choice what you spend it on. What we haven't talked about really at all is the, uh, the national versus imperial seats, because it's only the imperial boss positions that have money going into the Senate. And there are the national boss positions, which are, as Graham mentioned a bit earlier, they are free. They're free boss resources. They're elected. And um, that means that it comes down to player choice who they appoint, who they think is going to, is most worthy for whatever reason of having control of that resource um, to either support the Senate by giving them stuff to do things within their nation. Any of the other things they might do with that mithril, white granite, werewood, Ilium that they have not had to pay for? And the dynamics between the the, the free boss ch- resources and the expensive boss resources um, adds another sort of subtlety to that in terms of how those resources are going around and how they get used.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things you haven't really talked about is why you you know why would you have economics at all in a game? Why? I mean, obviously, I've talked about the high fantasy versus low fantasy, but the essence of Empire is about role playing. It's just about creating. Reasons to role play with other characters. We are trying to give fourteen hundred people as many reasons as possible to role play with each other. Uh, and some of those reasons will be magical. You will want to find other people who can help you cooperate to perform a powerful magical ritual to do X. And some of those reasons will be virtuous. You will want to convince people that pride is the reason why everybody should be doing this, or everybody should join forces to support loyalty, or whatever, or whatever. And some of those reasons are economic because you want some green iron to produce a magical item, or you want some mithril to upgrade your mana site or you want 10 wains of white granite to build a sinecure or you want x or you want y all of these things ultimately are simply reasons to role play and occasionally i see a classic mistake where players assume that the destination is the purpose they assume that the point of the game is that you should have wains of white granite so that you can do this thing And then they go, well, I don't have wines of white granite, so this game is broken. But actually, the point of the white granite, the reason it exists in the game is so that you will go out and role play with people to try and get it. And success is not guaranteed. You may never get the white granite. The point is that you will role play with people and and, and have interactions where you try to get it. It's the journey that is important, not the destination. We don't care whether you successfully build the sinecure or the army or whatever it is you're trying to do. What we care about is that you have to role play with hundreds of other people. To try and persuade them to do the thing you want to do, and that persuasion could be virtuous. It could be everybody in our nation needs to support the creation of the new army, so that we have this army. It could be, or it could be just flat economics. I've got ten crowns. You've got the thing I want, and I persuade you to swap my ten crowns for the thing you've got. Um, and so, economics is a reason to role play, and it's just another form of that—that that kind of personal to personal trading. Trading is just—it's just another another reason to role play in a
3: field. On
1: on that note, given that this podcast is now longer than many uh, Hollywood blockbusters, um, <laughs> and we've touched on a lot, but unfortunately, of course, there's still a whole load of other things to talk about. We haven't talked about the misuse of the word "need,"
2: for example. Um, but
1: I think we should probably call it there, frankly.
2: I think we should. We've said a lot. Uh, um, I'd like we,
0: to thank... We
2: are, you know, we are at one hour and 45
0: minutes, uh, just for a Ooh, that's a
1: killer. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to thank Eleanor for joining us for the start of the podcast and the end of the podcast. Um, and I'd like to thank Matt and Graham for giving us a lot of content in the middle of the pon- co- podcast. Um, and then I think, uh, hopefully, now that we've laid the groundwork as to why uh why things matter um, we'll be looking at our podcast about diplomacy
2: Hopefully, nah, I reckon we should one? do one about abstraction layers next
1: <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> so um I'd, uh, so on that note, I'd like to say thank you to all the accountants who are still listening for listening um and uh and see you at the next empire event.
2: yeah, see you soon, everyone.